A brief update. It's May the 12th, 2024. I've released just two episodes of this year. My father-in-law passed away in January. He bravely fought a multitude of health issues for well over 15 years. Rest in peace, John. My wife of more than 20 years, Lisa, is remarkably strong, much more so than I. Her outlook on life is always positive and has motivated me to resume my passion project. Research for new episodes is now well underway. Stay tuned and sincere thanks for subscribing to my podcast. Dallas's Mark Aguirre had an interesting take with his endorsement of the Blazers having picked Sam Bowie ahead of MJ in the 84 NBA draft in saying that, and I quote, guards don't win championships. <laughs> Bowie will be there when championship time comes. Players like that bring championships, end quote. Amazing stuff. I read that only today when I was scouring through the archives online before we started chatting, mate, and that was one of the better takes of that period of time. Yeah, and you might like to say that Aguirre was a little off the mark on that one. <laughs> I'm not sure where he acquired that information from, but... What information from? <laughs> Hello to Mark, though, if you are listening. I always like to say that Michael got to play with me for a year at North Carolina. <laughs> I think it really helped him. Spectacular player from the beginning. You can see right away Jordan was going to be a big-time scorer. And showed what an impact he was going to have on the league. This is NB85, celebrating the 30-year anniversary of Michael Jordan's rookie season in the NBA. And now, your hosts, Adam Ryan and Aaron Steen. Welcome back to another episode of NB85, mate. Thanks again for joining me. Aaron, how are you today, mate? This is the NBA on NB85. <laughs> Nothing like an impromptu announcement. Thank you. Any other news I made? Or I'm good. Thank you very much. Oh, that's good to hear. 1985 playoffs, conference finals. Before we discuss the conference finals, let's jump straight to May the 12th, an historically significant date in the history of the NBA. It was the first ever draft lottery, and it was telecast live on CBS during the halftime break between the Boston Celtics and the Philadelphia 76ers. Golden State Warriors GM Hal Childs said that if they are able to get Patrick Ewing in the upcoming draft lottery, that they would still make an all-out effort to sign their own free agent holdout, Joe Barry Carroll, as they, and I quote, can never have too many big men. No, that's true. And of course, in this era of the NBA, it's all about the big men. Franchises were still being built around the main man in the middle and then having minions around him to actually just feed him in the post. The Tribune spoke about some of the college players who had impressed at the Aloha Classic in Hawaii the previous month. Players such as Joe Dumas, Detlef Schrempf, Xavier McDaniel, or should I say Xavier McDaniel, Terry Porter, Sam Vincent, and friend of the podcast, Bill Wennington. <laughs> Always good to mention a friend of the podcast, Big Billy Wennington. Out of interest, mate, just on Twitter in the last couple of weeks, I threw out a bit of NBA trivia as I'm prone to do on occasion. And I noted with interest that the 1985 NBA draft actually had more all-stars than 1984, surprisingly. The only NBA draft in the 1980s that actually had 10 all-stars or more. NBA 85 where tidbits happen. <laughs> yes, exactly right. Now, we did mention in a previous episode, mate, the NBA's first draft lottery was also referred to as the Patrick Ewing sweepstakes, and the 85 draft will be held on June the 18th. Utah head coach Frank Layden had actually spoken in a 
interview that was written about in in the Tribune about how the the Knicks had in the the lead up to the draft had just hyped Ewing up so much that it's going to give Ewing and his management all the leverage in contract talks. So interesting comment from Frank. Previously, a coin toss would have determined which of the two worst performed teams, in this instance, the Warriors and Pacers, would pick first in the draft. Seven teams were in the running for Patrick Ewing, and they were Golden State, Indiana, New York, Atlanta, Kansas City, slash the newly minted Sacramento Kings, Seattle, and the LA Clippers. And for a quick historical perspective, the 85 NBA draft order was selected as follows. Number one, the Knicks selected Patrick Ewing. Number two, the Pacers chose Wayman Tisdale. Rest in peace, sadly. Number three, the LA Clippers selected Big Ben, Benoit Benjamin. Fourth pick, Seattle ended up by selecting Xavier McDaniel. Number five pick was with the Atlanta Hawks and John Konkak. Sixth pick was with the Sacramento Kings. We'll call them Sacramento now going forwards. Joe Klein, future bull Joe Klein, I should say. And seventh pick was the Golden State Warriors with future Hall of Famer Chris Mullen. After this, the first ever NBA draft lottery, there was already talk about making changes to the system after Golden State Warriors, who tied for the worst record in the NBA, finished with only the seventh pick in the NBA draft via the new draft lottery system. And I guess we can look back in getting Chris Mullen at number seven. Even though they would have gotten either the first or second pick in the old system, they probably ended up with the uh, the second best guy out of the top seven players in getting Hall of Famer Chris Mullen. Yeah, for sure. Were you aware that the draft lottery system was originally conceived by Boston Celtics legend Red Albach? I had no idea. No, I didn't know that either. It was reported in one of the articles in the Tribune around the draft lottery. Okay, there you go. In the show notes of this episode, I'll include a link to the 85 draft lottery. In that said clip, Dave DeBuscher, who was the then executive VP and director of operations for the New York Knicks, he famously can be seen pre-announcement, anxiously crossing his fingers. We should add, he is also a Hall of Famer, a multiple All-Star and a two-time NBA champion. And sadly, he passed away too young as well in his early 60s in 2003. And it's currently... 2015 and it's amazing to think that he passed away 12 years ago because I recall when he actually passed away and I certainly wouldn't have guessed it was 12 years back. Neither would I. I actually had to double check on the stats on that before adding it into our notes today, mate. The Tribune's Bernie Linsicum said that the anxiousness of New York Knicks Vice President Dave DeBuscher must have been similar to that of General Eisenhower as he awaited word on the landing in Normandy. (laughs) This as the Knicks won the first ever draft lottery and the right to select college phenom Patrick Ewing with the first pick in the draft. Here is DeBusher. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Hello to Marv Albert if you're listening. From 1990 onwards, the NBA then changed the lottery format. They opted for a weighted system that gave teams with the worst record a better chance of landing that coveted number one pick. So was the initial system for the first draft lottery, was it just every lottery team had had the same odds of getting the first pick? Yeah. Whoever was pulled out of that oversized hopper with the envelopes of the team names in it, that team had equal chance of getting the number one pick. Really? Any of the seven teams that missed the playoffs at that time, I think it happened until maybe 1987 and then they changed it. So I think it could only be the 
first three or four picks and it sort of went in reverse order. But yeah, staggering that any of those seven teams could have landed the number one pick. Yeah, great concept, the uh, the draft lottery, but you might like to say the red only went halfway with it. That's right. They made a few tweaks here and there, and that led to what we now know from 1990 onwards. There was an interesting story about a Chicago native named Mike Campbell, who was a star at Northwestern University. The story told how Campbell was drafted by the Bulls in the fifth round in 1980, but was disappointed by both being drafted by the Bulls and being drafted in the fifth round. Campbell had options outside of basketball, and despite being told by GM Rod Thorne that he had a legit chance to make the team, he didn't even show up for training camp. Later on in years, he said he wondered about the choice he made after seeing guys that he thought he was better than playing in the NBA. Campbell said, and I quote, if Granville Waiters could make it, I have to feel I could have too. (laughs) Take that, Granville. Funny stuff. Good find. Um, Now, mate, back to the topic at hand, the 1985 NBA Conference Finals. The LA Lakers matched up against the Denver Nuggets with the series kicking off on May the 11th and it concluded on May 22. The Lakers punched their ticket to the 85 NBA Finals with a five-game series victory. Alex English lit up LA for 40 points in Game 2 at the Forum in his team's lone win. He ended up missing Game 5 due to a broken thumb. And for the minutia lovers out there, the next time the Nuggets would make the Conference Finals, 2009. Wow. Versus, you guessed it, the LA Lakers. The series wrapped up, though, with the Lakers' extraordinary 44-point win in Game 5. Final score was 153-109. to You didn't hear that wrong. Seven Lakers scored in double figures, and every player on the roster scored at least four points, and Chuck Nevitt had 10 minutes of playing time. NB85 podcast favorite, Chuck Nevitt. He's been oft-mentioned, yes. 153-109, to that's showtime. 44-point win. Hmm. Um, This also was the Lakers' fourth straight conference title, and Denver's Dan Issel retired after this series had ended. Hearing that they lost game five by 44 points also makes me want to retire as well. I'm sure that that would have been uh, uh, a bit of a... Bitter pill to swallow. (laughs) Dan, I did it again. (laughs) Have a drink, mate. Wet the Issel. (laughs) The Lakers were led by Byron Scott, James Worthy, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who all averaged 20 points per game or better over the five-game series. And the Magic Man, not surprisingly, led all with 15.6 assists per game. For the Denver Nuggets, Alex English averaged a very impressive 30.3 points a game over the four games he played in the series and also led the team in rebounds with 6.5 per game. Calvin Natt scored 22.4 points per game over that five-game series as well. 1985 All-Star, Calvin Natt. That's right. Underrated player in the early to mid-80s. There's no doubt about that. In a bit of Bulls news, Bulls owner Jerry Reinsdorf said that they intended to pick up the team option on Quinton Daly's contract, not necessarily to keep him, but so they can use his contract to get something for him in a trade scenario. Uh, On May the 14th in the Tribune, Dallas's Mark Aguirre had an interesting take with his endorsement of the Blazers having picked Sam Bowie ahead of MJ in the 84 NBA draft in saying that, and I quote, guards don't win championships. (laughs) Bowie will be there when championship time comes. Players like that bring championships, end quote. 
amazing stuff. I've read that only today when I was scouring through the archives online before we started chatting, mate, and that was one of the better takes of that period of time. Yeah, and you might like to say that Aguirre was a little off the mark on that one. <laughs> I'm not sure where he acquired that information from, but... What information from? <laughs> Hello to Mark, though, if you are listening. Um, in the Eastern Conference Finals, the Boston Celtics took on the Philadelphia 76ers. The series commenced on Draft Lottery Day, May the 12th, and also concluded the same day as the Western Conference Finals on May 22. Now, Boston won this series in convincing fashion, four games to one. Boston and Philly were fierce rivals at this point, and it wasn't just by virtue of the infamous regular season brouhaha involving Larry Legend and Dr. J, which we detailed in episode eight of this NBA 85 series. Shameless self-promotion. The Celtics and 76ers competed in three consecutive Eastern Conference Finals from 1980 to 82, and twice they went the distance a full seven games. Now, Boston jumped out to a near insurmountable series lead, three games to none, with no margin of victory less than eight points. Philadelphia won game four at home, but really were staving off, staving, is that even a word? Mm -hmm. Staving off the inevitable, and the Celtics advanced to the NBA Finals with a two-point win, 102 to 100, on the hallowed Boston Garden floor in game five. Dr. J, who was obviously on the road with the 76ers uh, for that infamous game during the regular season, a road trip to Boston Garden, celebrated by punching the living suitcase (laughs) out of Larry, out of Larry Bird. Thank you some assistance from a couple of his teammates who pinned Larry's arms. <laughs> and I've been reading a little bit actually recently about Larry and his displeasure with the fact that none of his teammates came to assist him during that brouhaha, as you mentioned before. Well, as you said, Bird had his wings clipped yeah. by some of the 76ers players. And there's a couple of big boys. Charles Barkley was on the scene as well, right in amongst things. And, of course, uh, Moses Malone, who we'll get to in a little bit as well, mate. Yeah, that was a nasty incident. I've read with interest as well. There were some articles around this time, particularly after Game 4 and Game 5, where reports were saying that Dr. J was all but done as far as playing in the NBA and he would look to retire in this off-season. Yet, he still continued on for two more seasons. So, just like with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, earlier when we mentioned in this NBA 85 series, they'd written him off and said this was his last season. They were also writing off Dr. J, but he had two more seasons left in him. In hindsight, he maybe should have quarter quits after the 85 season because I think it's a pretty popular opinion that he perhaps played a season or two too long in the NBA uh, just as Kareem did it as well I think. Um, I think Kareem's last season was the 88-89 season in the NBA and yeah I heard that uh, he was like treacle as he ran up the court. He was very very slow. Yeah they bowed out in a final sweep in 89 for Kareem, so mm. rather inglorious way to go out after such a celebrated career. Quick stats for the series. Kevin McHale and Larry Bird averaged 20-plus points per game. Robert the Chief Parrish averaged 13 boards per game over the series, and Dennis Johnson led the Celtics with 6.4 assists per contest. And for Philadelphia, Mo Cheeks led the team in points at 19.4 points a game and assists 4.8. Moses Malone... rebounds per game led the Sixers. And sadly, in the last couple of weeks, mate, since we've recorded an episode, Moses Malone passed away. Much too young. I think he was only 60. So it continues the rough trot that the former players have had with the passing of far too many, particularly big men, Daryl Dawkins as well included. Moses was a guy that 
when I first started getting into the game, I really only saw him in his last few seasons when I think he played for about a dozen teams in the last two seasons <laughs> of his NBA career. Um, having seen a few games from this 85 season when the Bulls played against the other 76ers, I found it quite startling just to see how, how physical uh, and how dominant Moses was as a player down low. He must have been an absolute nightmare to guard down low or to try and keep off the offensive rebounds because he was not adverse at all to throwing his weight around down there, not illegally or in a dirty manner, but he was just an absolute beast down low, in particular in these games that we've seen the Sixers play against the Bulls in this 85 season. Perfectly said, mate. And yeah, earlier in this NBA 85 series, we did talk about because Philadelphia and the Bulls played each other numerous times. And Moses generally had the upper hand in each of those contests and was pretty much the most dominant player in a majority of those games. And I'm sure that if a good friend of ours, Todd Spear, was here with us to try to speak about it, he'd have a pretty cool Moses story or two to regale to the listeners uh, as well. He's very well versed on all things Moses Malone and the other Philadelphia 76ers, but very sad to see these guys go who we saw play when we were younger and getting into the game. And, and I guess as we advance in years, the, the, the guys that we got to see right in the middle of their career and in the prime of their career, it'll be an even bigger shock when they leave us as well. Oh, that's right. It's something that I'm definitely not looking forward to at all is to hear of the news of some of those players that you just referred to. Now, on a more upbeat note, over the course of these conference finals, let's chat about the high men for each of the categories in points, rebounds and assists. Alex English led all scorers with a 40-point game in Game 2 against the Lakers on the 14th of May at LA, no less. For the rebounds, Charles Barkley actually had the most rebounds in that period of time over the conference finals, 20 boards, and that came on the 19th of May versus Boston, of course. And the Magic Man, Irvin Magic Johnson, 19 assists was the single game high during the conference finals, and that occurred on the 22nd of May, so in game five of that series. Now, mate, let's just go over a bit of NBA happenings over the period of time throughout these conference finals. On May 15, ProServe's David Fork joked that Patrick Ewing's choice to sign with his player management company was 100% influenced by Michael Jordan, if you ask Michael. MJ and Ewing became good friends at the McDonald's All-American Game as high school seniors and also roomed together on Team USA at the Olympics the previous summer. They had a brief reunion when the Bulls played the Celtics in Hartford during the season, the night before Ewing's George Sandhoyers played UConn. They stayed at the same hotel, and MJ gave Ewing a pair of his game-worn Air Jordans. Ewing, surprisingly, has only size 13 feet, the same size as MJ. As you said, that was surprising. And there was an article either in that same day's paper or around this time that was actually titled Air Ewing? Question mark an article in jest the fact that there might be his own shoe line to rival Jordan's. Jordan advised Patrick on the benefits of going with ProServe when he came out of college. Fork went on to say that Air Jordan is a franchise and is bigger by itself than some of Nike's competitors. And in, in 2015, uh, I think the Jordan brand is only bettered by Nike in basketball shoe sales, which is just extraordinary. 
Jordan himself said that the sales of Air Jordans surprised everyone and has made him very happy financially. <laughs> and would do for every year for the rest of his life. To the point where the man now owns an NBA franchise. Unbelievable. Jordan said, hopefully it will continue. The line is going to grow. We've got armbands now and maybe soon a type of jeans. <laughs> Humble beginnings for Jordan Brand. That's right. In the May 16 edition of the Chicago Tribune, it was reported that Georgetown Hoyers coach John Thompson met with Seattle Supersonics GM Lenny, Wil Lenny, Lenny Wilkins, but rejected an offer to coach the team. Now, that was something that I'd only heard very vague mentions of over the last few years in bits and pieces, and it was good to actually see that it did actually happen as far as the offer goes, and they met for some time, apparently, too, but that never came to fruition. Bulls owner Jerry Reinsdorf, in the same article, said it was, and I quote, ludicrous that he offered John Thompson the role of Chicago coach and general manager. Yeah, that was quite interesting to read, too. Maybe the length of the meeting between... Lenny Wilkins and John Thompson was extended by the, by the discussion that Lenny had with John about how he was going to stitch Dominique up early in the <laughs> 1994 calendar year. My goodness, you don't hold a grudge, do you? It was actually written that John Thompson was in Chicago to speak to the Bulls about Hoyer Ford, Bill Martin, and his potential to be drafted by the Bulls. In other briefs on the same page of that Chicago Tribune, Michael Jordan received a trophy and a check for $10,000 as he was named 1985 NBA Player of the Year. It was an award that was based on detailed computer analysis of player performance. MJ was the first rookie to win the award in its 11-year history. Now, in unconfirmed reports, the same computer was quoted as saying to Jordan, shall we play a game? Hello to Matthew Broderick, if you're listening. Had you ever heard of the NBA Player of the Year Award? No, never heard of it. <laughs> uh, me either. Lots of know when it met its demise because uh, I know for a fact that it didn't exist in the other 1990s in any way or form. So, Also on May the 16th, the aforementioned Michael Jordan was selected as the NBA's Rookie of the Year. Yes. That's an award I do know is still running. It's an unconfirmed report that it still exists. <laughs> Jordan received 57 and a half. Of a possible 78 votes, second placed Akeem Olajuwon received the remaining 20 and a half. They were the only two players to receive votes. Said Jordan, the award is nice. I'm very happy. It's like the end in a movie. It caps off a dream season for me. There you go. After several days of promotional work, Jordan was due to return to the University of North Carolina to finish off his degree. He figured to make approximately $1.7 million from his endorsements and commercial ventures as the hottest marketing property in the NBA. I love a good stat, and that's one of the good ones, mate. Well done. $1.7 million for a rookie for endorsements and commercial ventures alone. That's a lot of a lot of cash. And that's 1985. So put that into perspective. You'd think that's, oh, I've got no idea. I'm not a financial person. It's a lot. It's a lot. Bernie Lincecum on May 19 said that everyone is a candidate for the Bulls head coaching job except for Bulls coach Kevin Lockery. <laughs> Bernie came up with 20 questions for any prospective head coach. A few of these questions were, what would you do with Quinton Daly? Would you A, trade him to Portland for a new clipboard, <laughs> B, become his roommate, or C, change his diaper? Oh, goodness me, that's harsh. The greatest moment in Bulls history is A, the night in 1967 that Will Chamberlain scored only 68 points against them. <laughs> 
B, the day in 1975 when they beat the Golden State Warriors to take a 3-2 lead in the NBA semifinals, or C, will be their first. <laughs> Chicago's team colors are A, red and white, B, black and blue, C, whatever Michael Jordan is wearing. <laughs> and the Bulls team mascot is A, the steer, B, the dodo, C, Jerry Krause. <laughs> He's lined up these people left, right, and center. He has. And going Wooshka. Bob Sakamoto wrote that Reinsdorf, Kraus, and Lockery were due to meet in Chicago the following Monday to discuss Lockery's future in Chicago. That happened on May the 20th. His fate was not yet decided in that meeting, but he was quoted as saying afterwards, I don't know what's going to happen to me. The other treatment of um, Kevin Lockery during this period is something that we'll elaborate on a little bit in NBA 85- 29 because it was a bit of a circus really it was reported that bernard king's torn acl would keep him out of the game for longer than expected the sack suggested that jerry kraus look into the possibility of sending orlando Woolridge and quentin daly to the knicks to help fill their small forward hole as left by bernard's injury in a deal for knicks big man bill cartwright this wasn't the first time during these articles that a potential trade for bill cartwright was mentioned and it also would eventually happen a few years hence of course but interesting to note that there was always the possibility of trades happening left right and center around the association that wraps up the conference finals mate thanks again for being part of the show too mate anything at all that you'd like to add before we put a bow on this 28th episode of nb85 I love it. You love it. We love this giddy up. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show and share my web address with your friends and colleagues in allairness.com. Check out the podcast archive for plenty more episodes with high profile guests. Follow me on Twitter at inallairness. Please add your like to the show's social hub, facebook.com slash inallairness. Join me next time for another edition of the show.